welcome to Deeper, a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. Our podcast follows the Sunday sermon and aims to help our congregations go deeper into God's Word. Welcome everyone to Deeper as we look at chapters 19 to 24 of Luke's Gospel in our series titled Behold Your King. My name is Clayton Ryan and this week I'll be discussing chapter 22 verses 24 to 38 with Mark Roberts. Welcome Mark for the first time this term. We've missed podcasting with you. (laughs) Thank you. I've had a little break haven't I? Yeah this is only my uh, second sermon uh, in this uh, Terms Luke series. But mm. I think the first sermon I did, I was then away for a week afterwards. Yeah, so that's right. Yes, on your cohort. I missed my um, my podcasting opportunity then. Yeah. yeah. It's good. I actually wouldn't say you've been on a break, have you? You've still been working quite hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, I've, I've been occupied, uh, doing a little bit less preaching on Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, partly because we've been getting the onboard course off yeah. the ground this term. So I've been preaching there for the last little while. Yep. Um, and that's been going really well. So I certainly have been keeping myself busy, welcoming newcomers into the yeah. life of the church and helping them to understand what we're about and what belonging at WBC looks like. And mm. it's been a really great group of people to be meeting with, actually, over the last oh, few weeks. So it's coming to an end uh, this week. Yep. And uh, then we'll we'll wrap it up and then do it all again next term sometime. Yeah, great. Mm. Excellent. And been a positive experience overall, you would say? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I think it's been really helpful for people um, yeah. trying to answer some of the questions that people have uh, brought as they've arrived in our church and started to try and get their bearings. It's yeah. been really good, actually, to bring all that stuff out into the open. Yes. And, uh, for a whole bunch of newish people to kind of discover, oh yeah, we've got the same questions as you do, and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, let's all figure out this together. And yeah, there's been good friendships formed, and yeah, really encouraging time. Yeah, oh, really good, excellent. Now, before we get into the questions, could you give us a recap of your sermon from Sunday? And uh, I've tasked um, Rod and Ken. I've given them thirty seconds mm. uh, because it's your first time this term. I'll give you a little bit longer if you want. Thirty-five. Yeah. All right. Great. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, yes. So we were looking at uh, Jesus' words immediately following the Last Supper. Mm. They're words that are preparing his disciples to be ready for that point at which he departs. Mm. What will life be like for them um, as followers of his in his absence? In one sense, and there were three things that he was trying to get them ready for. I suggested that uh, he was trying to help them to be ready for service to be following in his footsteps as laying down their lives and becoming low in the eyes of the world uh, in order to serve others. Uh, Also be ready for sifting, meaning the influence of Satan in trying to um, Mm. make disciples fall away and stumble. And then also uh, ready for opposition in the mission of the gospel, Mm. uh, recognizing that the world's not going to receive them very kindly anymore um, and that that's not a reason to give up. Uh, And so in all of those things, uh, we not only thought about trying to be ready for those challenges, but also the encouragement and the comfort and the assurance that Jesus offers at each step along the way Mm. um, to remain faithful and to keep standing for him in each of those challenges. Yeah, excellent. Good. Now, I'll start off with an easy question for you, and this is one that was sent through to me on Sunday evening. So in chapter 22, verse 36, Jesus said to his disciples that if they didn't have a sword, then to sell their cloak and go and buy one. Now, the question was whether historically this is perhaps something that could have been used 
um, whether by churches or by Christians, as a justification for violence. And the question was kind of alluding to specifically the time of the Crusades, but mm. also wider implications of how Christians should think about justification for war and violence. Um, yeah, just a nice light <laughs> topic to start us off today. Crusades, holy war, mm. etc. Yeah, good, yeah. good, good. Um, okay, so I think there's two sides to this question. Uh, the question of has this verse or verses like it been used mm. to justify violence? And uh, perhaps the other way, other way of looking at it is ought it to have been used to do mm. that? Is that what it's actually saying? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the question of has it been, um, I obviously can't say with absolute certainty, uh, conclusively <laughs> yeah. no or yes to this. It wouldn't be surprising if it had. Mm. Uh, but as it relates specifically to the Crusades, my understanding is that this verse is, was was not sort of one of the key texts that was wheeled out every now and then mm. uh, to, to explain the actions of the Crusaders. Um, it's actually quite interesting looking at the history of the Crusades that the the popular support for the crusades from the masses of people who let's remember at that point in the 12th and 13th centuries didn't mm. have ac easy access to the scriptures in their own language mm. so uh, there wasn't uh, much use i don't think of uh, you know proof texts say from the yeah. new testament uh, to justify the kinds of actions on a popular level is much more mm. kind of a, a cultural or a national kind of rallying cry to defend christendom and that sort yeah. of thing and so the justification for the crusades i think is was more on that political kind of national interest side of things yeah. where the bible was used uh, in terms of what we can read about the correspondence between kings and politicians and whoever else uh, of back in in uh, the, and, and particularly with high-ranking religious religious uh, leaders it was quite often the stories of the Old Testament and the the holy wars of the Old Testament mm. that were more used to justify it in fact most of the church leaders at the time recognized that Jesus was nonviolent mm. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, the new they, there was not much support really from the New Testament uh, to justify this but where where there was biblical justification so-called justification yeah. it more or less came from the Old Testament that's my understanding but again I'm no historian so yeah. um, I can't say conclusively uh, so has it been uh, I, perhaps but I don't think it's it's uh, not prominently, anyway. Yeah. Should it have been? That's a much easier question to answer. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no, exactly. It should not have been. Yeah. Um, you know, any any time that uh, Christians or people who claim to be Christian um, perform acts of violence on other people in the name of Christ, it is a complete contradiction hmm. to who Christ is and what, how he taught us to live. Yeah. Jesus was non-violent, famously so. He taught his followers to turn the other cheek. He, yeah. he warned his followers, actually, in Matthew's account of uh, his arrest, uh, of Jesus' arrest in, in Matthew chapter 26, hmm. uh, after the incident where um, Peter strikes one of the guards with the sword, Jesus tells him, put the sword down because... All who live by the sword will die by the sword. Mm. There's this kind of almost wholesale rejection of violence by Jesus. Yeah. He tells his disciples to turn the other cheek and to su rather to, to suffer than to cause someone else harm. So mm. um, I, it's pretty, pretty obvious, I think, from the, the broad teaching of Jesus and more broadly in the New Testament, that's not the ethic yeah. that, uh, that this supports. 
rather, I think the better understanding and the understanding I tried to argue for on Sunday mm. is that this is just a picture of hostility, um, yes. that the world is going to be hostile to you. And so be prepared for that. Yeah. Now, um, if you want to press in on that, that's okay. <laughs> we can press in on that. I think that begs the question then of, well, what is a Christian's relationship to um, let's say violence when it comes to self-defense, for instance, mm. if the world's going to be hostile to us, what is our response to that as we're out in the world? Yeah, um, that's a very difficult question. I'm not, and it's not the question you asked me, no. so I'm actually not going to answer that yeah. now, which is convenient. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't think um, mm. we ought to read this verse as part of a justification for Christian violence. Yeah, I was thinking as you were saying, even if we think. Right back to the time of David and Solomon, David, a man of war, he mm. wasn't to build the temple mm. um, because of all that blood mm. on his hand. So there's something about that reckoning, even though David was right to go and do what he yeah, did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, there was still a distinction between. Yeah, yeah, you've yeah. got blood on your hands. Yep. Yeah, the house of God is not to be that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Yeah. May not necessarily be relevant to Luke's <laughs> gospel, but oh, it'd be interesting to think about, um, mm. uh, yeah, whether that kind of distinction is is continued elsewhere in the New Testament. I'd have to think about that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Now moving on to another question of war. So a couple of weeks ago, Ken preached that war and persecution are coming, and then we saw in the Lord's Supper uh, that Jesus would suffer and die. So. Is Jesus, in telling his disciples to have a sword, just continuing this reality about the opposition his disciples will face? But then you also mentioned Peter is going to go on and use his sword mm. against someone and Jesus is going to, in a way, rebuke him mm. for it. So what's going on here with this this idea of war and opposition defense? Yeah, I, th I think it is um, a continuation of that theme that we've been mm. noticing over the last few weeks. Um and uh, I think in some sense, this part of the story actually sort of takes and, and, and the, the arrest of Jesus that we're going to look at uh, in the uh, next passage um, actually takes that theme to its conclusion and asks mm -hmm. the question, well, when the rubber hits the road, you know, and the opposition actually mm -hmm. does come and find us as, mm -hmm. as those who belong to, to Christ, what then? Um, and I think it, it, I'm grateful that the New Testament doesn't leave that question hanging, mm -hmm. but it actually shows us Jesus' word of rebuke for those who mm. perform an act of violence in his name. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's actually kind of completing a whole arc for us here in these few chapters to yeah. clarify that as, as followers of the Messiah who was betrayed and murdered, that uh, we are also to be um, nonviolent. We are mm. not to res uh, resist evil in through force, that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Now, not so much about the violence, but I guess in terms of judgment. Mm. So I thought we would have received a few more questions, um, actually even just any questions about verse 30, because you're very clear in your sermon that you're not going to address uh, this passage, mm -hmm. uh, this this verse. Uh, but it seems everyone perfectly understood exactly what the Bible means by judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I guess we didn't get any questions, so I'm not going to bother asking one now. We'll just move right <laughs> on. Yeah, great. <laughs> just kidding, not letting you off that easy. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> so the first part, uh, my question is, firstly, just from a preaching perspective, why did you choose not to um, preach on this aspect? Mm. But then secondly, 
What's it all about? Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, yeah, why did I not choose to preach on that aspect? Um, I think because uh, in reading the the whole section here from verse twenty four down to thirty eight, which I think is is a pretty um, contained unit of thought. As a preacher, I'm always trying to look for what is the main emphasis. We often say what's the big idea of a passage. And so we want to discern what the main thing going on in it is. And often our decisions as preachers is to decide what what are we going to talk about in service of that big idea? We want people to to grasp onto one big thing, you know, mm. as, as a communicator or as a listener, rather. It's much easier to catch one big thing yeah. than a thousand little things. You think about trying to catch a football instead of trying to catch a handful of sand, right? Yeah, You're going to do yeah. much better at catching the football. And that's yeah. what we're trying to do as preachers is give you one big thing to receive. And so that often means that some of the little things we will choose to not draw attention to because mm. not because it, it, there's there's nothing for us to learn there or because, you know, we just want to avoid the hard work of talking about the difficult bits, yeah. but because yeah. it might be peripheral to yeah. actually what the main thing is. And so in my assessment, the main thing was about readiness in, yeah. you know, in this whole section. Yeah. And so uh, I made the decision to not go down that little yeah. rabbit hole about yeah. <laughs> the 12 tribes, tr- judging the 12 tribes, sitting on the thrones in heaven, that sort of thing, because there's... Uh, in my, uh, we're going to get to your second question in a second. <laughs> in my uh, assessment on this, it's it's a bit confusing. Yeah. But I think the um, the the reason why Jesus says it is not confusing, but actually the specifics of what he means are a little bit elusive. Yeah. And so rather than spend five or ten minutes of my sermon sort of qualifying it and coming mm. to the end of it and saying, well, oh, it's a bit inconclusive at the end, yeah. and just get back to the main point, I thought, well, I'll just sidestep that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we're doing uh, – I kind of drew attention to it on Sunday. Mm. But um, if you pay attention, you know, in the preaching at WBC, you'll notice us doing that quite a lot, whether yeah. we draw attention to it or not, because we do want to help people to focus on the key thing in the passage. Yeah. So – That's the benefit of the podcast as well. That's as, right. Rabbit holes. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah. 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 Uh, go on tangents. So uh, what is actually going on there in that verse? Um I think that one of the clues, perhaps, to understand what's going on is that Luke, in his gospel, uses quite sparingly references to the disciples by calling them apostles. Mm. Seven times in his gospels, he he calls that band of 12 the apostles, Mm. uh, but he refers to them as the disciples something about 50 times almost across yeah. the, the the gospel. And the points at which he uses that phrase, apostles, are very deliberate and usually related to um, something thematic that's going on in Luke's gospel, which mm-hmm. is about the replacement of Israel, yeah. that Israel are going to reject the Messiah and that there's going to be a new people who are going to receive him instead. And, and the use of the term apostles coincides with that. Here in chapter mm-hmm. 22, verse 14 in the Last Supper, yep. that group at the, the supper table are called the apostles. And so we perhaps ought to be thinking, oh, is there something going on here to do with Israel, mm. to do with the replacement of the people of God? And so I think the imagery then of these 12 people sitting on thrones in heaven, judging the 12 tribes of Israel – I think what what Jesus is trying to communicate and what Luke is helping us to see mm. is that uh, those who stand with Jesus, which is what verse 28 says, those those uh, you are those who have stood by me in my trials, those who are faithful to Jesus will be the ones in this position of authority in heaven ruling the new Israel mm. in some sense. So I think it's part of the replacement kind of metaphor or theme that's going on in there. Um, Jesus has, of course 
quite famously uh, in chapter 19, the parable of the ten meaners. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's talked about giving authority to his disciples in mm-hmm. heaven. Yeah. The ones who are faithful with a little, he will make rulers over cities, for yeah. example. Yeah. And that's metaphorical. But that theme of standing with Jesus and receiving authority in the age to come, mm. it's been there before. And I think this is yet another kind of example of that. Yeah. Um, I think the the reason why I said a moment ago that I feel like this is a li- it's a little bit inconclusive as to exactly what Jesus means here is because I'm still undecided whether Jesus is referring specifically to the twelve apostles here. Mm-hmm. I'm leaning in that direction, but I'm, yep. I could be persuaded otherwise, or whether he's talking more broadly about all disciples who stand with him. Yeah. Um, on one level. Jesus has said to all of his disciples, all who will follow him, that the kingdom is theirs. They, that yeah. they, in some sense, have ownership of the kingdom of God. He said that back in Luke chapter 12. But in another sense, this feels a little bit more direct, like the role that's being given judging the 12 tribes of Israel is. Mm. That's not a role that every Christian can fulfill in yeah. heaven. That's a limited. There's only 12 seats to do that. And so <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably referring specifically just to the a special role that the apostles will play in, in the yeah. kingdom, basically. Yeah. What that's going to look like, I don't really know. I'm, the reason I'm, I'm not completely sold on that mm. is that uh, there is biblical evidence, actually, that believers are going to play some – that all believers are going to play some role in judging somehow in heaven. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 6, famously, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when Paul is talking about the disputes that are happening in the church in Corinth, his argument is you should be able to ju- judge these things between yourselves because don't you know you're yeah. going to be sitting on judgment seats in heaven. You're going to be judging angels in heaven. So yeah. get, you should be able to solve this. Now, what do you do with that? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm noticing that there's evidence to suggest that this might just be the 12 apostles or it might be, in some sense, authority that's given to all Christians. Yeah. But I think more broadly, I want to step back from that and say what's going on here is that Jesus is saying to those people who've stood with him, you're going to be part of my kingdom mm. and I'm giving you authority and responsibility in some sense yeah. in the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah. And that's the that's the motivation to for the service that he's just called them to, actually. You, yeah. you humble yourself serve others, become a servant, become like a child, mm. and you will sit at my table and you will be given authority in the age to come. I think that's kind of where it's going. Yeah, which fits in with what you said with the First Corinthians. Mm. It's like, you're going to do it in heaven. Why aren't you doing it now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's like, serve now. Yes. Because that's what it's going to be like. That's right. The responsibility eternity. of judging is a, it's a serving responsibility at yeah. the same time in heaven. Yeah, it's not yeah. being served, but actually doing a service for the people. That's, I think, the imagery of judge yeah. Um, there. Yeah. yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks. Helpful to think through how to think biblically through tricky passages mm. without requiring us to land on an exact interpretation. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's often helpful to to arrive at the principle behind it and to say, what's the point of this? What what is the Mm. function of this? Whatever this is saying, what is Jesus trying to accomplish by saying this? Yeah. And then we can be a little bit hazy on the details if we understand why, what the force of it is. Yeah, Mm. yeah. And maybe one day that will come. Maybe we'll have to wait till Jesus returns, Mm. and by then it won't matter. That's right. Just we'll understand. (laughs) That's right, yeah. (laughs) Now, to me, the jump from the end of last week's passage in verse 23 to start of this week's passage in verse 24, to me, that jump is totally logical. Mm-hmm. Obviously, obviously, I'm not going to be the one who's going to betray Jesus because look at all the good work I'm doing. Mm. But then you'll jump in at that point and say, well, 
Clayton's doing all this work. Look at what I'm doing. Mm. I'm, I'm so much better than him. Mm. It's clearly not going to be me. And then it just escalates into this point where they're all trying to fight amongst one another about yep. who's the best. Yep. So for me, it makes perfect sense that we get to this this phase. But I think you used the phrase, which I thought was really helpful, the selfish pride of the disciples. Mm. And I think this is such a good description of our own hearts when we feel that there are jobs that are just somewhat beneath us. Yeah, selfish pride. Yeah, mm. that's. I think that's often why we don't humble ourselves. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can. We know that our Lord was the one who humbled Himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And were it not for that humiliation, that we would be nowhere. Mm. Um, we can know that, but yeah, that that pride that still says, yeah, yeah but. That yeah. job, that job is still beneath me. Yeah, I won't clean the toilets yeah. because, well, you know, I'm better than that in some yeah. way. Yeah, like I think that's a that is a, a, a perpetual danger, and we probably don't say it out loud. Most mm. people, I think, have the good sense to if they were to be actually having that kind of an yeah. inner monologue, yeah. they would um, they would repent. But you know, I think, yeah, when when we're talking about um, opportunities, say to serve at mm. WBC, that feeling of well, look, my, my time could be better used elsewhere or yeah. somebody who's got more flexibility can do that and I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give it a miss, for instance. Yeah. Well, perhaps we ought not to be thinking that. Perhaps mm. there's, there is some sort of a selfish pride there that thinks that my position ought to be higher yeah. than that of that servant who's going to do that job. Yeah. yeah, and I want to warn us against that because I, I do think that's a very common um, kind of mistake that we, we slip into pretty regularly. Mm. Uh, I, I want to challenge people to think, you know where where would we be if Jesus had not gone to the lowest place mm. and become the uh, the most humble servant? If if Jesus had decided, oh, I think that's a little beneath me. Yeah, you know, someone else can do it, or yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll do part of the job, but like oh, I'm not going to die on the cross. Like yeah, that's, yeah. I'll live the perfect life on earth. Okay, I can suffer that much, but yeah. I'm not going to actually give up my life. Like where would we be if 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 Pride had stood in the way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God that Jesus is more humble than that. Um, you know, he's the one who washed his disciples' feet and who said that they ought to do likewise, and mm. as a metaphor for his own sacrifice. I mm. think, yeah, we just uh, we have to be on our guard against our, our flesh yeah. telling us lies and saying, "Oh, we're we're better than that. Yeah. I don't. I shouldn't have to do this dirty job." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I think the flip side of the same. Coin is that selfish laziness mm. where it's just like you see something that needs doing, it's like, yeah, someone else will do that. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. Yeah, so good point to remember that being ready for service, mm. and Jesus is that one we look to who didn't deny that humble service. Mm. Now, when our selfish pride inevitably, um, with our selfish pride, inevitably comes the danger of temptation. Now, verse 31, Jesus tells Peter, or in this case goes back to his original name, Simon, that Satan has asked to sift them like wheat. But Jesus doesn't deny Satan the ability to sift them, mm. but seems to use this as an opportunity to refine them. So how can we make sense of Satan's influence in perhaps the trials and the temptations that might come our way from day-to-day -day life? Yeah, it's it's pretty shocking, isn't it, that... Mm. Um, Jesus doesn't say, Satan has asked to sift all of you, and I've told him no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesus says, yeah, Satan's asked to do this, and that's what's going to happen. Mm. Um, and it's it, very similar, in fact, to, as I uh, alluded to, the book of Job, yeah. where 
very similar request that uh, Satan presents to God in the heavenly mm. courts, and then God seemingly allows this thing to happen. So there's yeah. this interplay there between Satan's request and God's allowing of this. And I think mm. I think we're seeing the same thing in um, Luke 22 here. Yeah, um, it's a complicated question of what actual what authority, control, influence, power does Satan have over the the trials, the temptations, the events of this world that might fall into that category of sifting. Mm. Um, I think maybe breaking it, in some sense, it depends uh, what what types of thing in the world we're talking about, um, trials or temptations. They're, mm. they're quite different things biblically. Um, you know, trials, I think we would want to say that God is sovereignly in control of these things. There are plenty mm. of places in the Bible where uh, there's a quite clear answer that God is the one who brings or allows these things into our lives mm. for our good. So 1 Peter 1 or Romans 5, for instance, yep. that trials actually produce perseverance or they refine our faith. Mm. So um, a trial could be a whole range of different things. It could be sickness. It could be circumstances that cause us to depend more on God. It could be yeah. you know a whole range of stuff. Um, so I don't think I want to say necessarily that Satan is the one who brings trials. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Bible would say that. When it comes to temptations, well, it's a little bit harder to, to yeah. sort of tell there because James chapter 1, for instance, quite famously says that it's our own sinful flesh that gives birth to temptation. Mm. And so temp- where does temptation come from? It comes from within. Okay, sure. But then also Satan is called the tempter, 1 Thessalonians 3. Mm. He is the one who tempts Jesus actively in Matthew 4, for instance. Yep. So I, I think th- there is some biblical evidence that Satan is the one who brings temptations into our world. And certainly I want to say that Satan is the, the personal force who is behind, um, in some sense, behind uh, this evil and this temptation uh, and sin in the world. I think that's an accurate biblical statement to say. So on on the one hand, I think what the Bible would have us do is not pass the buck to Satan Mm. and to to blame him. It's clearly... Uh, the blame game doesn't get us anywhere. No, <laughs> you can tell yeah. that from from Genesis three. Yeah. Um, we are still culpable when we give in to these things. Yeah. Um, but neither would the Bible say that Satan has no influence here and that he's not responsible in in any way, shape, or form. I think the, yeah. I think that both are true in some sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it, it's again one of those ones where. Um, what I tried to say on Sunday was that we ought to be aware of and prepared for the influence of Satan um, mm. and the sifting that will take place for, in a whole variety of different ways and recognize, as Jesus does, that Satan is behind this sifting somehow. Yeah. Um, but that's not cause for alarm for us because yeah. of the great news that Jesus, as our great high priest, is praying for us. Yeah. And so we can we can actually face those things faithfully. Yeah. Uh, and when we do stumble, we can turn in repentance and be welcomed back just as Peter was. Yeah. And I think the reminder, um, one thing you said in the sermon, that in having Jesus as our greatest ally, it opens us up, opens us up to our greatest enemy. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. a really, really helpful image mm. in my mind. That mm. The more we walk with Jesus, the more Satan's going to want to try and undo that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 Now, last question uh, for this week. How would you like the congregation of WBC to respond to this passage? Like, why is it right to put all our eggs 
in the Jesus basket. Yeah. Ash Barty's clearly <laughs> deserted us. <laughs> She's left us high and dry, hasn't she? Yeah, I think I think that's the that's the difference is that uh, it's right to put all your eggs in in the Jesus basket because Jesus has not left us high and dry. He's not deserted mm. us. Um, that life following him in this period we're in now after his departure and before his return mm. in his so-called absence uh, that there are challenges, there there are real challenges and, and struggles in following Jesus during that time, but we're not to be surprised by those things. We're to recognize that Jesus has equipped us and he's helping us in those things. And I, th- I think the way that um, Grace closed our evening service on Sunday night, mm. she took us to John 16. I thought yeah. it was such a helpful way to sort of sum up uh, what Jesus is trying to do here. She quoted John 16, 33. She said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Mm. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. Yeah, that's a great place to finish. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time uh, today, Mark. It's great to have you back on the podcast again. We missed you, and it's just been really, really helpful today just to discuss these things and just think, how can I think biblically about some of these tricky passages i think this has been really helpful at least for me anyway so thank you very much (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) and thanks everyone for listening again our mic as always for recording and remember please send through your questions either after your home group during the week um, or after the sunday sermon uh yeah the the more you send through uh the more we can be sort of responding to to the congregation and remember that the war has already been won but there's still going to be opposition and Satan is still sifting us like wheat. Uh, So be ready and unashamedly serve our King. This has been a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. You can listen to past sermons and deeper podcasts and also find information about our Sunday services on our website at wollongongbaptist.org. 